Anyway, as you know, we've, we've been in the book of Judges. We're in chapter 13, starting tonight. And we have just been following the history of Israel and their repeated um, cycle that they're in, where they just sort of they have sin. It leads them into slavery to other nations because they're worshiping false gods and they're taking uh, other nations of unbelievers uh, as wives and marrying into them and then the people oppress them. They begin to be mean to them. They cry out to God. God raises someone up. That person delivers them, and they kind of go on for a certain period of time, kind of relatively sin-free, delivered, and, and living redeemed. So as we get into Samson's life tonight, that's basically the same pattern we're going to see again. It's just this repeated sin. Uh, but we aren't looking so much at Israel in this these chapters, we're looking more at the life of Samson, which is kind of a deviation, but it encompasses what Israel's doing at the time. So without further ado, let's get right into chapter 13. It says, uh, again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines." So right off the bat, we're introduced to Samson's mom, and she's visited by the angel of the Lord. This is believed to be a Christophanes appearance of Jesus. So she gets to talk to him. And in the preceding verses, she's going to go and tell her husband, hey, this is what happened, and this is who I think it was, and I didn't really get to catch his name. So in verse 6, she says, So the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came, came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I think that's kind of cool. God's very awesome. But I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. I think that's pretty common in any culture. If you start talking to someone, you know, your first questions are going to be, so where are you from, what do you do, what's your name? You know, I think the name is kind of the last thing we usually ask. But it's sort of odd. She's like, I didn't even think to ask him these things. I was just sort of like, wow, this guy's immediately telling me this is what's going to happen. She was kind of caught off guard. And... And so she goes on to say, And he said, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. So just uh, incidentally, the Nazarite vow was three things, really. They weren't to drink strong drink, alcohol, fruit of the vine. They weren't to touch a dead body, and they weren't to shave their heads. So they'd have, like, you know, that long hair kind of, I think that's kind of the thing in, in Judaism today, and I might be misquoting, so I probably shouldn't say anything, but where you see the, the hair, you know, growing out and stuff, and, and that's kind of the same thing. They would com- commit themselves to the Lord, and it was a way of showing it. And so he's going to be a Nazarite. Those are the three things, and that's important to note because we're going to see that kind of comes into play, you know, much, uh, not much later, pretty soon. Picking it up in verse 8. Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the children who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came to the woman again and she was, as she was sitting in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Then the woman ran in haste and told her husband and said to him, 
Look, the man who came to me the other day has just now appeared to me. So Manoah arose and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. Interesting, huh? Manoah said, Now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life in his work? So he kind of instantly asks, So kind of tell me his future. What's, what's he going to do? What's, what's everything uh, uh, that's laid out for him? And his answer isn't really what he asked. He answers him and he says, So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor she, may she drink uh, wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I command her, let her observe. So he just sort of reiterates, you know, he's, he's going to be a Nazarite, so she needs to be clean, and carries on there. Then, the, then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you, and we will prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name, that when your words come to pass, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? What is it that we see about Jesus in the prophecies in Isaiah? says, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, you know, Everlasting Father. We just sang about that. It, it's kind of interesting. It's just a little hint there, seeing that it is wonderful. Not only is it a wonderful name, uh, too wonderful for them to understand, perhaps, but it's just wonderful. He is wonderful. That, that's literally like one of his titles. And so he says, uh, says so Manoah took the young goat with him and uh, the grain with the grain offering, sorry, and offered it upon the rock to the Lord, and he did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. Not only is he wonderful, but he does a wondrous thing. Kind of interesting. It happened as the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. I find it interesting that he says, you know, I can't eat of it, but you can offer it up to the Lord. And as they offer it up to the Lord, what does he do? But he ascends to the Lord, he ascends to heaven, to the Lord, on this offering, this pleasant aroma to the Lord. And it kind of makes me think, you know, assuming, you know, this is Jesus, and I think, I don't think we're far off assuming it's an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. It, it's like the same as when Jesus was crucified on the cross, he offered his, himself up as that sacrifice for our sins. He was pleasing to the Lord. And what does he do? But he, he rides these pleasing aromas up to the Lord like he's part of it. You know, he's that pleasing sacrifice that God has accepted. And, you know, I might be dragging that, stretching it just a touch, but I don't think that's too far off to say that he, he very uh, clearly is kind of showing, hey, I'm, I'm pleasant to the Lord. I'm, I'm part of, of what you are offering here. I am, it was what he said he uh, was he asked are you the man he just says i am just like god you know when moses asked who should i say sent me i am that i am when jesus was asked by the pharisees you know kind of who do you think you are what 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 right do you have he he says i am i am he is what they translated as but there is no word he it just says i am and then they picked up stones to stone him they knew that he was he was the lord that he was he was proclaiming anyway that he was one with god he was making that statement and so it says, uh, when the angel of the Lord appeared no more, we read that, uh, they, they knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, 
We shall surely die because we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord has desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things as at these times. I think it's interesting. He begins to doubt because he knows that God proclaimed that he is holy, that we are sinful, that we can't dwell with him. And that was proclaimed in the Old Testament when Moses is up on the mountain and the people were afraid to approach the mountain. Um, they, God said, don't let them come near. They weren't allowed to go into the tabernacle because of their sin. Only the high priest was allowed. And so these people quite literally are like, hey, we just saw God. We just saw an appearance of God, uh, the representation of him. I'm going to die is what he's thinking. You know, It says no one can see him and, and live. So he's panicking. He's freaking out. But I find it interesting, his wife, she consoles him. She doesn't just go like, you stupid idiot, come on, think it through. This is not, uh, he's not going to kill us. She does it in a very loving, very respectful way. She tells him three things. Uh, she says, he wouldn't have accepted their offerings, which he did. He would, God wouldn't have shown all of these things to them, and he wouldn't have told uh, all these things at this time. He wouldn't have just decided, hey, for no apparent reason, I'm going to appear to these people and just be kind of facetious and, and then wipe them out just because I'm bored and I want to get some kicks. That, that, wasn't, that wasn't what he was doing. He had a purpose. He had a reason that he was appearing to them. You know, sometimes I think we can do kind of the same thing. You know, we think, I think God's pushing me to do this thing. And it may not be as clear as it is to Samson's parents here, but he'll, he'll give you that impression in his word or through confirmation of, of a message you hear or something and say, I want you to do X, Y, and Z. You're like, I really feel called to be a missionary to the Ukraine, or I feel called to maybe step up and help serve here at Calvary Crook County. I, I feel called to maybe help with worship. But you kind of think, no, 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 God, God, he wouldn't do that to me. Or, or if he did, no, no, he's what, I'm worthless. What could he do with me? I mean, he's not going to use me. He's, he's not going to follow through on his promises. And that's just not proper thinking. In the same way here that he commissions them by giving them, you know, instructions on what they're supposed to do. It's his promises. His promises are good. His promises are solid. He is giving them freedom, freedom to see his face even, freedom to go and minister. And so she just tells him, look, he's not going to give us these things. He's not going to take our offerings. The Lord isn't going to take what you give him in a heart that's, hey, I just want to serve. I want to bless you. That was Manoah's heart. Hey, why don't you stay? I'll cook you something to eat. No, I can't stay, I can't eat, but I'll let you make a burnt offering to the Lord. And that was a sacrifice. That was something that he was just giving away to him. He wasn't going to be eating that. He was just burning it up toward the Lord. The Lord's not going to take your offerings that are done in a heart of, of desire to please him and go, sorry, that's no good. Because that heart, that very heart is the one that's humble. And it says, I'm going to uh, trust that I'm dirty, I'm sinful, I'm in need, but... The Lord has called me. He's asked for these things. I'm going to bring that sacrifice, that sacrifice of praise. I'm going to do what he's called me to do. I'm going to surrender to him. And so we can take confidence in those things. So the chapter ends out, it it says in verse 24, So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at uh, Mahana, Dan, between Zorah and Eshtol. And that really just means the camp of Dan. Between, uh, between Zorah and Eshtel. So the Lord immediately moves upon him. Interestingly enough, again, about the Nazarite vow that he took, is it was something people could choose to take. They could say, I'm going I'm to be a Nazarite, but 
you weren't usually one from birth. You know, before you were ever born, these things were determined for you. And I think sometimes for us, we, we need to realize that God, in his sovereignty, in his, his foreknowledge, he had things planned for us. He had stuff from birth that he wanted to commission us to do, callings on our lives. And the spirit of the Lord was with us. And, but we have a choice, as we're going to see Samson. He had a choice. And so, Spirit of the Lord is on him. Chapter 14. Uh, I, I kind of titled this chapter as Samson's Springer, Life and Wife. Jerry Springer episode is kind of what his, his life is like. It's just some crazy, all-out, weird... There's brawling, there's fighting, there's, there's crazy women, there's disrespect, there, you know, everything. People getting set on fire. I mean, what's going on here? So, it says, Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah, of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his wife and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord that he was... He, the Lord, that is, was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Keep in mind, it said at the beginning of chapter 13 that the Philistines had been over them for 40 years. I mean, that's a long time. And they have dominion over them. Instantly, we see there's a a, a crack in his armor in Samson's uh, facade. We see he's probably a young guy here. I would guess maybe his early 20s. You know, he's not married yet. And he sees a woman, and he goes like so many people do, they judge just simply based on looks. Wow, she is hot. That's kind of what he's saying. I've, I found this woman. She's gorgeous. Get her for me as a wife. You know, that was that Arab culture, that um, Eastern culture there. And it still is to this day in a lot of areas where it's an arranged marriage. The parents will go and kind of broker a deal for the daughter of, of the other parents to give her as a, son, uh, as a wife to their son and kind of set it up beforehand. But what is Samson's big problem here what is his his sin it's that he sees her she's beautiful instantly in his flesh he he goes i want that i'm going to take it get it for me and he doesn't care that she's an unbeliever you know a lot of times that's the problem you know when i was growing up and everything in youth group or in bible college and stuff a lot of people would be like well i'm dating this person oh are they a christian no no they're not but i mean i'm hoping that you know i'll get to lead them to the lord and maybe some of you that's happened maybe that's been you know the exception to the rule but that's more god's grace not your ability to lead that person to the lord and samson didn't really care about this woman's spirituality he didn't care that she probably worshiped you know a false god all he cared was that she was beautiful so right away we see that chink in his armor where he is lustful and even though he has a calling on his life and he is filled with the Holy Spirit, as it said at the end of chapter 13, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's immune from sin, that he's not going to, to do these things. You know, God doesn't give us his spirit based upon our uh, great sinless perfection. It's God's grace that he gives it to us. And we do see, though, that Samson did this and the Lord uses it, but this, again, is the exception. The Lord didn't say, hey, I, I want Samson to sin and this is a great idea. Uh, he, said, he said, you know what, I'm going to use this anyway. I'm going to use this for good. But we do see later on that Samson's sinful characteristics really end up getting him and hurt and a lot of other people hurt. So we pick it up in verse 5. 
So Sam, Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now, to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father and mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. And after some time, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of it in his hands and went along eating. When he came to his father and mother, he gave them some too, and they also ate. But he didn't tell them where he had taken it uh, from, the, the, or taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. So interesting. What did I say at the beginning? The Nazarite vow, you're not to drink strong drink, and you're not to touch dead bodies. And so he kills this lion, which the Lord obviously came upon him in the power to do it. But then a while later, as he's going back to this woman, as he's progressing towards his sin, as he's pursuing the lusts of his flesh, he comes upon that rotting, stinking carcass, you know. And that's kind of what it is when we're pursuing our sin. It's just dead death all around us. And he approaches this carcass, and there's honey and bees in it. This is pretty bizarre. You know, I taught the youth group last night, and we were in, we were in 1 Samuel. And Jonathan, in that King Saul's son, is going through um, the forest, and there's honey all over the ground. And all of the soldiers were told, you know, they made a vow. They're not allowed to eat the honey. They're not allowed to eat at all until Saul gets, a ven- gets vengeance on his enemies. It was a stupid oath. He shouldn't have made it. But Jonathan didn't hear the oath, so he goes ahead and he eats the honey on the ground. Seems to be this correlation between this honey, this, this sweet stuff that's enticing. And Jonathan wasn't in sin doing it, but his father making this oath was, was in sin. Uh, and so we see here, though, Samson finds this carcass. He touches it. He goes. And what does he do? He starts eating the honey out of it. And then he gives it to his parents. And I think it's significant that it says he didn't tell his parents where he got it from because they probably would have said, well, you got it out of a dead body, right? You're not supposed to touch dead bodies. You're, you're a Nazarite. You're sworn to the Lord. He, you're not to go and pursue you know, that death, that stink. So he eats it. In verse 10 it says, So his father went down to the woman, and Samson gave a feast there for the young men uh, used to do so. And it happened when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. Then Samson said to them, Let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, Pose your riddle that we may hear it. So he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Now, it's sort of an odd riddle, you know, and they really didn't have much of a chance of solving it, uh, and he knew that. He's like, hey, I'm pretty smart. He kind of respected his intellect. He thought, you know, I'm powerful. I'm better than these people. And what is he doing here, too? He, he marries this Philistine woman. He's marrying an unbeliever. He's touched a dead body. Now he's at this party, and we don't, it doesn't say that he drank anything, but literally it's not just like a party, like a birthday party. It's like this is a wedding feast kind of thing, and they're all partying it up, drinking. So he's around drunk, you know, drunkenness and everything. And again, this isn't, uh, I shouldn't say this is like an anti-alcohol, anti-fun, anti-everything uh, passage. The, it's not the significance of the alcohol or, or that. It was the significance of him being set apart to the Lord. For things, And so he's at this party, he's drinking, and he decides, I'm going to give him this, this riddle. And so he tells him, you know, 
about the lion, but they don't know what he's talking about. It says, now, for three days they could not explain the riddle, but it came to pass on the, 11th, on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us, or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us in uh, order to take what is ours? Is that not so? So they're kind of, it's a double sword there. They're saying, hey, entice your husband, or we'll kill you and your father, and come on, you know, did you guys just do this? You invited us to this party just to take advantage of us? So they're really manipulating her. And their manipulation carries over to Samson's wife. And Samson's wife wept on him, it says, and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You opposed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. And he said to her, Look, have, I have not explained it to my father or my mother. Should I, so should I explain it to you? Now she had wept on him seven days while their feast lasted. And it happened on the seventh day that he told her, because she pressed him so much, then she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. I think this is an interesting little lesson here in marriage. She nags him and nags him until he decides to just give up, you know. And and it's kind of sad. In a lot of marriages, both Christian and non-Christian, you see this where a wife or a, or a husband, but typically it's, it's the husband won't do something or he won't tell something or he won't communicate something that the wife thinks he should do. So she begins to push him and to push him and say, do this, do this for me, tell me, I want to know, or, or, or whatever. And so finally, due to her nagging, he ends up doing it. But he doesn't do it from a heart that has joy. He doesn't do it be, because he loves her. He does it because he's ticked off. And so it creates this, this rift between them. So he begins to just become more... Um, uh, dispassionate towards her, he doesn't. He, he doesn't like you know her presence because she just is bugging him all the time about this stuff, and she begin, begins to disrespect him because she knows ultimately that she can manipulate him, that he's not a strong man, that he's not a good leader. She's the one really calling the shots, and you know, and that's something. If you guys are in that situation, if that's what you know your marriage has come to, that's something you really need to analyze. You need to examine your heart. Say, am I doing that all the time? You know. And we all do it to some degree, but, but uh, it is sin, and, and it's not right. And that's why I call this chapter Samson's Jerry Springer, you know, life. He's got, he's got problems at home, problems in his marriage. He's got problems where people uh, with, you know, partying, he's, he's just, he's a mess. But he's still called and being used by the Lord, and the Holy Spirit still comes upon him. And so she finally gets it out of him, and she goes and tells the men. So the men come back to him in verse 18, and they say, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And Samson's not dumb. He says, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. And so he's really ticked. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men, took their apparel, and gave the changes of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused, and he went back up to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. Isn't that the strangest thing you've ever heard? I mean, he gets ticked off. He goes and he kills 30 people of their own people. Ashkelon was a Philistine city. And he gives them the clothes. He's like, here you go. And kind of, it's like jokes on you. You know, Sting, I got you. Uh, I killed your people. So you're not really winning here. And he's so upset, he kind of throws a big fit. And then he goes back to his home and he leaves his wife there. So she's given to his his best man. Only in the Bible, I mean, can you find such unique and interesting stories. Um, So moving into chapter 15, it says, After a while, in the time of wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat, and he said, Let me go into my wife, into her room. 
But her father would not permit him to go in. Her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister better than she? Please take her instead. So he's like, "Uh uh-oh, I messed up. Whether or not he actually thought this or he's just trying to cover his tracks, we don't know. Um, And then Samson said to them, this time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. So now he's justifying his actions. And he goes and says, Then Samson went and caught 300 foxes, and he took torches, turned the foxes tail to tail, and put a torch between each pair of tails. This is like some sort of crazy redneck thing, you know? It's like lighting off fireworks and shooting off guns or something. I'm going to go catch a 300 foxes and then send them through uh, with fire on their tails. And when he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up both the shocks and the standing grain, as well as the vineyards and the olive groves. Pretty clever, actually. And incidentally, some people say, oh, he couldn't have caught these foxes or, you know, that couldn't be it. They're more than likely probably jackals, which are known to run in like packs of 200. And it doesn't say that he caught them all by himself, and it doesn't say that he did it all in one day. It just says that he went and caught them. He may have done it with some help and over... Over time, you know, he's just sort of seething and just, okay, I'm going to get him back. So he goes and he sets all their, their food on fire. And then the Philistines said, who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. These guys have something with fire. I mean, they threatened before, hey, we're going to set you on fire if you don't do this. Now they do it. They set him on fire. Samson said to them, Since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you, and after that I will cease. So it's like, I'm surely going to kick your butts for, until you're all gone, and then I'll be done. So he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. Then he went down and dwelt in the, in the cleft of the rock at Etam. Hip and thigh just means kind of like he just really brutally laid waste to them. He, he was uh, unrelenting. And then he goes and he hides. It's kind of a peculiar thing, really. And uh, says in... Verse 9, Now the Philistines went up and camped in Judah and deployed themselves against Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? So they answered, We have come up to arrest Samson to do to him, uh, to, do to him as he has done to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock at Etam and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. But they said to him, We have come down to arrest you, that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. Then Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. So they spoke to him, saying, No, but we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hand, but we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. So the Philistines are ticked. They kill his wife and father-in-law. Then they go up and they are going to kill his people too they're encamping against judah and judah's asking like whoa what did we do to tick you guys off because they're kind of living there as neighbors it'd been 40 years and um so they're they're encamping against him they ask and they say hey we're up here because because of samson and they're like okay well uh what can we do to to fix this problem let's go up we'll get him for you so they go up there and they arrest samson and they take him they tie him up and isn't that sad they say to Samson, don't you know that they rule over us? That's, that's the resolve these people have come to. They've decided, you know, ah, we're fine with it. it. We're managing the flesh. I mean, really, as you look at Israel and the Philistines, as you look at these different types throughout Scripture, 
It is a picture of the flesh and the spirit. Israel was called to be a holy people separated unto God for his good pleasure. Uh, And what do they do? But they keep giving themselves over to idolatry, to the sins of these other people, these godless people. And the other people begin to rule over them again. And they admit it here and they're like, they just state it like it's everyday fact. And we can get to that point in our lives too where we have just so much surrendered to our flesh, to the sin that it easily entangles us, that we're just like, this is basically normal. I don't know anything else. I don't know what it's like to be uh, living in the spirit. I don't know what it's like to feel free from sin. I, I can't help but sin. That's what it's like, and that's pretty sad. You're a slave to those, to those lusts. You're a slave to those gods that you have built up. So in verse 14, When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire. And his bonds broke loose from from his hands. (coughs) This is my favorite part. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand and took it, and killed a thousand men with it. I mean, that's (laughs) that's pretty crazy. That would be like, I'm going to pick up one of these chairs and go UFC style and just start beating somebody and, and... kill a thousand people that he's he's resourceful you got to give that to him and he so he killed a thousand people then samson said with the jawbone of a donkey heaps upon heaps with the jawbone of a donkey i have slain a thousand men and so it was when he had finished speaking that he threw the jawbone from his hand and called that place ramoth lehi so here's what we see here he's he he beats these people up he kills a thousand people and then he like writes a song he he I, I kind of think it was like a rap because that just seems like his character, you know. So he's like rapping to him. One person actually, their rendering of the song is, uh, where is it here? I have to find it in my notes. But Oh, it says, with the jawbone of an ass, I have piled them in a mass. That's kind of what he's saying. I have beaten them down. So he's like writing a rap, gangster rap song about himself, about how he's beat these people down. And I mean, I mean, that's what gangster rap's all about. So that's kind of why I think it was like a, a rap. Obviously, I'm just kidding. But um, I think it's cool. He's, he's captured, and yet the Lord comes upon him again. And he, he breaks these bonds, and he goes and he conquers these people. What did we see earlier a few weeks ago when we looked at Gideon? You know, the Lord whittled down his army to 300 people and then sent him up against hundreds of thousands of people. And there was victory. Now it's down to just Samson. And he's just this one-man army. Up to this point, it had been God building up Israel as an army, and then they go and they overthrow the people. Samson's a one-man wrecking crew. You guys have probably heard that saying, but the world has yet to see what it looks like for, for a man to be fully surrendered to God, to be fully on fire, sold out to him. I, I think that's probably true. When, when we are in that place where the Spirit of the Lord is upon us, and, you know, it's it's a stretch, perhaps, because Samson is, he's not necessarily obedient to the Lord, but he still does the things of the Lord, and the Lord is using him. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he is being pleasing to the Lord either. Obviously, because of his sin, that's going to be grieving the Lord. But when, when we're in that place where we're sold out to the Lord and we're on fire for him, he can make just amazing things happen. The, the promise that was given, you know, one of you will send a thousand to flight. Literally, that's what happened. It's fulfilled here. The Lord has, has fulfilled his, his promises from Scripture. When I told you we taught the youth group last night. In that same chapter, we see Jonathan, and he takes his armor bearer, and the two of them give victory in Israel. They go and they hike up this hill, and they say, you know, if the Lord wanted to, he could defeat all of the army with just 
two people if he wanted. What, what's it to him? He could do a whole army or just one man. And so they say, well, let's go up. And they go up and they defeat 20 men in like half an acre. Be like them just coming in here and ninja style and beating everyone down. And that's what they did. They, they had that faith to do it. Samson does the same thing through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's not one of those things. It's not like a movie where, you know, the hero never seems to get hurt. And the hero just has this uncanny ability to kill people in like 3.5 seconds. It's, it's not, I don't want it to have that impression because it's not his strength. It's not his power. I, I actually believe Samson was probably a fairly regular looking guy. You know, he didn't look like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger because if he, if he did, the people would probably be like, wow, he is really buff. That's why he's so strong. That's why he has such great victory. All they could figure is this guy, there's something strange about him. He looks like a normal guy, but then he beats a thousand people with the jawbone of a donkey. He looks like a normal guy, but he can fight off all these men because he has the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is humorous to me. It says in verse 18, Then he became very thirsty, so he cried out to the Lord and said, You have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? So God split the hollow place that is in Lehi, and water came out, and he drank, and his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore he called its name in Hakor, which is in Lehi to this day. And that literally means like spring of the caller, the guy who called out to the Lord. It's not, not again, it's because it's not <clears throat> Samson's great spiritual life. It's not because of his holiness, but it's because of God's grace and God's goodness that God does this to him. He opens up this spring of water, much like he did to the children in Israel. As they're out traveling through, he opens up the rock. He pours out the water to them. God's grace is that way. You know, he, he does that through Jesus for us. We don't deserve it. We are basically as good as dead, trapped in a desert of sin, of flesh, of death. And we look around and there's absolutely nothing we can do to save ourselves. We can't pull ourselves up from our bootstraps. We don't even have bootstraps. It, it's not a, you know, I'm a self-made man, I'm a self-made woman, I can do whatever I want. It's, we are helpless and hopeless and lost and we need a savior. And same thing here. He pours out the water to Samson by his grace. God pours out his grace towards us through the blood of his son Jesus. He pours it upon us. We can freely receive it. We're in that desert and it, and it revives us. We have new life, new hope. In verse 18, I, I do again, I, I just think it's humorous that he, he's like, he became very thirsty. You kind of think, no duh, yeah. <laughs> you just beat down a thousand people. I mean, that had to take a good long time. <laughs> I'm thinking hours, maybe all day. And then he's really thirsty. But the Lord is gracious to him. Okay, <clears throat> so the famous Samson and Delilah chapter, chapter 16. <clears throat> Starts off really great. Samson gets a hooker, literally. It says, now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. What is wrong with this guy? I mean, obviously he was raised from his parents to be set apart to the Lord. He knows that he's not supposed to do these things, but he goes and he sins. He's kind of like the ultimate example of a fallen pastor or a fallen leader. You know, the guy who, who goes out and he gets prostitutes and he's doing all this stuff and he's doing drugs and, and everything. And you're just like, how did you ever think that was okay? <laughs> what was going through your mind? But as we see in Samson, he lets his sin entice him so much that he's just blind to it. He doesn't even think it's a big deal. And it says, when the Gazites told him, 
uh, were told, Samson has come here. They surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. Perfect example. When you are in your sin and you go and you pursue sin, you are vulnerable. You are vulnerable to attack. You are leaving a place of, of safety, rest in the Lord and peace, and you make yourself a target to the enemy. You guys have probably read like um, that book, the, the Pilgrim's Progress. And in it, there's an account where uh, as, they're, as they're coming towards this gate, there's an archer who's shooting these fiery arrows at them. But as soon as they come into that gate, there's safety. But if they were to go back out, you know, they're under attack again. And you would think, why would you leave? Why would you do that? That just seems absolutely ridiculous. But we do that too, don't we? We, we give in to the sin that is our favorite. We set up our little gods, our idol of television, our idol of lust, our, our sins of pornography, our sins of um, self-pleasure, our sins of um, alcoholism and everything else. And we, we worship those because in them we think, I have peace, I have safety, I have hope, I have a good, warm, fuzzy feeling, um, temporarily anyway. But it's always empty. It always opens us up to attack. It always makes us vulnerable to more sin and ultimately destruction. Because it says that Satan has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy us, right? So what do you think his goal is going to be? Is it just going to be, well, as long as I can get them to just sin once, you know, then I'll leave them alone. Big deal, you know. They're, they're free and I'm not going to hurt them anymore. No, he's going to take every little bit he gets. It's been said Satan has a hook and he'll put whatever bait on the end of that hook that you want so that you will bite it. He will figure it out. He's had thousands and thousands of years with tons of servants, demons serving him, figuring out what are man and woman's vulnerabilities. He, he has people, I, I believe, that even watch us individually. What is it that I can entice them with? What is it that I can make available for them to watch late at night on television? What is it that I can um, produce between that marriage? How can I put enmity between that husband and wife and destroy their relationship? He, he'll do whatever it takes to get the job done. He's not going to be satisfied until you're dead. And sure, maybe you're, you're saved, you have eternal security, you're going to heaven, you're happy uh, with that fact. But do you want to die sooner or do you want to die later? Do you want destruction? Because usually your destruction, when you finally come to that point, if you have given in to sin so much that Satan actually physically destroys your life, behind that is a trail of destruction of people that you have touched and destroyed with your sin. You know, we always talk about these sins that are like, oh, that's that's sort of a um, victimless crime. You know, uh, I'm, a, I'm a sexual addict, but, you know, I, I, don't, I don't do that against anybody. It's just sort of me and my computer. Or I, I like to drink or I like drugs. And, you know, I, as long as I'm not hurting anybody, it's no big deal. <clears throat> well, if you look at it, it's always a bigger issue at the heart. It's always something worse deep down inside where it's, it's worship. You know, we set up those gods. We will make whatever it takes to to get that feeling that sensation we even worship worship we we come in and we'll raise our hands and stuff and i'm not saying it's a bad idea to raise your hands but we'll we'll get that warm fuzzy feeling and we're like oh that is that's the holy spirit right there maybe it's not maybe you're just worshiping your emotions your sensations maybe you're not even considering you're not thinking about the lord you're thinking about yourself and sure, we can worship the Lord and he can give us those sensations and everything, but that should not be the end all. That shouldn't be what we're pursuing. We should be pursuing Jesus. Those things are just sort of a side effect of, of loving him. But nonetheless, we, we continue on. Samson's vulnerable. He's sitting here. The people lay in wait at night for him to leave. And Samson, it said in verse 3, lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight 
and took hold of the doors of the gates of the city and the two gateposts, pulled them, bar, bar and all, put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. You got to think, these people are like, what is up with this guy? I mean, what can we do to stop this? person who is led by the Holy Spirit, who has power from the Holy Spirit, even though they may be uh, susceptible, because we all are, to sin, people will still look at that and go, man, I couldn't do that. Uh, that is amazing that, that they're so gifted from the Lord. But we can also look at that and say, I am so gifted from the Lord, and we think it's because I'm so amazing that God has given me these gifts. A gift is just that, a gift. It's not because you earned it, right? It's not because you deserve it. It's because somebody thought, I'm going to show I love this person and give them this gift. Samson, he goes out, tears off these doors, and he sticks them on the top uh, of a hill that faces Hebron. (coughs) Afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. He's just the ultimate example of that, you know, I mean, pastor figure, leader figure, who his vulnerability is women and power and, and lust and, you know, himself, his own pride, pleasure. And so he loved a woman, and her name was Delilah. Delilah literally means, like, delicate, but it could also be poor, weak, and, and kind of vulnerable. And that is exactly what he has become. While he's so strong, he thinks his physical power is something that he, he has. He, he's forgetting where it came from. He knows it's from the Lord, but I think in his mind he thinks that he's done something to deserve it. And, but literally, he's weak. He's delicate. He's very susceptible. And it's interesting that a woman whose name means those things is the one who takes him down. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him and find out where his great strength lies, and by what means uh, we may overpower him, that we may uh, bind him to afflict him, and every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Every one of us. That's a lot of silver. I think it was like 140 pounds per person. That would be a lot of money. So... Someone coming to you and saying, I want you to take down Pastor Ryan. Whatever it takes, I want you to take him down. I'm going to give you a billion dollars. Okay. That would be hard to resist probably, wouldn't it? No, but don't do it. And hopefully no one does that. It's only example. Uh, And so they come to her. They say that. We'll give you money. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. Now, we're going to see she comes... Three times, and on the fourth time, she's successful. And we'll read the first one, and we'll kind of skim through the the remaining ones until we get to the final. And so he says to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. And so you know the story. The lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound them with them. Then the men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke... Uh, the bowstrings, <coughs> as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me what uh, you may be bound with. So he said to her, If they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Therefore Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And, and men were lying in wait, staying in the room, but, they broke, but he broke off his arms. Uh, they broke off his arms like a thread. So Delilah said to Samson, notice each time, it's just like, how dumb are you? It's like, do you think that she's just doing this as a joke when there's actually Philistines there and she wants to find out what your weakness is? But 
he's so blind to his own sin and so arrogant to his own pride. He, he thinks that no, no one can do anything to me. Obviously, I'm, I'm just going to make this up. But as we see, he has a problem with women. He has a problem with wives. Now, this isn't his wife, but his, his lover, his co-partner in sin. And she keeps nagging him a little more. Hey, tell me. Tell me what it is. Tell me what it is. So the next time he breaks it off, it's ropes. And, and she says again, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom. So she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. Not only is he strong, but he's got really strong hair. He must use Pantene. Then she said to him, How can you say, I love you, when your heart is not with me? Isn't that just ironic? She doesn't love him at all. She loves money. She loves buying things. But she twists that on him. How can you say that you love me when your heart is not with me at all? You have mocked me with uh, these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death, uh, that he told her all his heart. Isn't it interesting? In Proverbs it says, guard your heart for from it springs the issues of life. We are to guard our hearts. And eventually he just gives in. And I think this is such a shadow, uh, a type of uh, sin, an example for us, where it comes upon us, something, uh, a thing, a person, uh, a relationship, and we, at first we're like, no, 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 I'm, I'm not going to allow that into my life. Or, okay, I'll just sort of let them think that they can do something to to entice me or to cause me to be weak but really they can't but he's already lost i mean he lost the moment he went in her door you know it it was kind of determined that he would be weak because his track record wasn't so good you know he's marrying these unbelieving women uh and he now he's just living with an unbelieving woman it's just like this downward spiral for him and so the final time before or the third time what do we see but progressively he gets a little closer to what the actual source of his strength is, right? He says, weave my hair in a loom, the seven locks of my hair. I kind of think like he had dreads or something. Kind of, again, gives to the rapper persona. <laughs> and so he's, he tells her, my hair, if you, if you weave my hair into the loom, well, that, that didn't do it. But he was like just teetering on that fine tightrope of almost there. He's almost fallen off. Just one more push. And so she manipulates him further. And it came to pass said, well, we read that, and she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. This woman was really good at manipulating. And so he tells her all his heart, and he said to her, no razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. And we look at him and we think, what an idiot, but we do the same things. Eventually we trust ourselves to the very thing that's trying to destroy us. Verse 18, and it says, When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, it's like she knew. She, something about her, she just she knew that that wasn't a lie. She knew that he was very, he was sincere. She sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. She doesn't even say, I figured it out, or hey, he told me the thing, but he's told me all his heart. He didn't guard his heart. The issues of life are now issues of death. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. So they're like, we're ready to pay. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. (coughs) 
It's interesting. She lulls him to sleep. That's kind of the final stage in our, in our sin, you know, when we play with it. Eventually, we're just dead. We're asleep to it. And we find ourselves at rock bottom. And you wake up, as Samson, it says here, does. And what do you find? She said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And so he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. I think that's just such a a sad thing. I mean, you hit that point where you've been lulled asleep by it, and you don't even know that the power of the the Lord isn't in your life. You think everything's fine, you know. You become so callous to sin. You become so callous to your own heart. It's like you don't even notice that your head's shaven. He's just completely and utterly destitute. And then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. You guys, I'm borrowing this illustration. I believe it's John Corson who I, I heard it from originally, and I think it's very applicable here, though. We see there it says, They put out his eyes, they bound him, and they made him a grinder. And you've heard this, you've probably heard it, but sin, it'll do those three things. It'll lull you to sleep, but you wake up and, and you'll, you're blinded. It'll blind you, it'll bind you, and then it'll grind you. So you're blind, you can't even see anymore, you're completely just wandering around aimlessly. You don't know where the light is, you know. What does it say that Jesus says, you know, I've come into the world, uh, the light came into the world, you know, and men could not comprehend it. They couldn't, they they couldn't overcome it is what it literally means with the darkness. His light shines in it. If you're in the darkness, you're just completely separated from Jesus. Now, if you're a Christian, it doesn't mean that, you know, you've lost your salvation or whatever. You need to work that out, figure that out in your own head. Were you ever saved to begin with? But, but uh, I believe that as a Christian, as someone called by God, being used by God, you can hit that point where it's just the day-to-day, you know, work. It's easy for me as, as someone working at this church, as a worship leader, to to just go through the motions, to get up to sing songs that have no meaning to me anymore, you know, because either the sin of pride, the sin of not relying on the Lord, the sin of my own arrogance, the sin of just feeling like, oh, I can do this on my own. So it'll bind you, or it'll blind you, it'll bind you, and it'll grind you. So as you're blind, now you can't do anything. Now your hands are tied, and then it just eats away at you. Once the enemy's got you in that place, he gives you a lot of time to think about it, doesn't he? It's like he's pretty much done his work, and now he, he'll just let you finish the job. You can just grind away, let it eat away at you. But we do see some hope there. It says, however, the hair of his head began to grow after it had been shaven. So it's like just this little light here. Now, we know his power wasn't actually his hair. It was the Holy Spirit. But it was the heart of the matter of what he had done. He had surrendered every last bit. He'd touched carcasses. He'd been probably drinking or, or whatever. And he finally gave up his hair. It's like, what, you're not, it's equivalent to saying, you know, I'm, I'm rejecting you, Lord. I really like these things a lot more. I'm afraid of these things a lot more. Or uh, I have a, a love for these things more than you. Consequently, we see the effects of his sin upon unbelievers. It says, Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has delivered us, uh, delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. So it happened, 
when their hearts were merry, that they said, Call for Samson that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison and he performed for them. You know, you see those pastors on TV who have fallen and stuff and a lot of non-believers, they, they go, See? That's exactly why. They're just full of it. They're, it doesn't have any power. We captured them. Really, when, when he gives in to their sin, they're really saying, you know, our, our God was stronger. Our God beat your God. When we worship those false gods that everyone else in this world worships, you know, they, they put in the place of the true and living God, we are, in effect, telling them, your God wins, you know. Your God is better. And so we see the effect is it just gives the enemy a chance to, to boast and to disgrace the name of God. But Samson, you know, he's, he's had a lot of time to think about this, and he knows his hair is growing back. It says, And then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars which support the temple, so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof, watching while Samson performed. So you get this, they're in the temple of their god, Dagon. He's been led to the very false god who he was supposed to lead the, his people to overthrow. And then Samson called to the Lord, saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. I, uh, strengthen me, I, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. I do find it kind of odd. It's like, really, your two eyes? Shouldn't it be for the glory of God? But he still is given the grace by God. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left, Then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the lords and all the people who were in in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. And his brother and all his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtol in the tomb of his father Manoah. He had judged Israel 20 years. You know, the story of Samson, it's given... It's told, I should say, to kids in Sunday school. And I think because of that, if you've grown up around that or you've heard it before from something, you've probably just heard a kind of, here's Samson and he's so strong kind of thing, like Noah's Ark, you know. We, we just sort of think, oh, that's a happy story. But literally, God killed a lot of people. What, is, what makes that a children's story, you know? And this is no different. This, is, this should be something very melancholy, because it's kind of bittersweet. Yeah, Samson gets vengeance and he finally takes the people down. But who's to say if he had been living a surrendered life, you know, that he wouldn't have had some powerful ministry, some powerful effect for his people to lead them into victory. If you're in that place tonight where you're just like, yeah, I, I know my sins have done that, but I, I still see the power. I still see the Lord working. Don't mistake the Lord's patience for his permission, you know. Don't think that he's saying, oh, yeah, I don't care. Sleep with whoever you want. Watch whatever you want. Get drunk as much as you want. Sin as much as you want. Because, you know, you got grace. I mean, what does that do? That just creates a mockery of Jesus and what he's done. Samson here, he repents at the end of his life. And he, he realizes his sin. And it ultimately, he, he finishes well, sort of. You know, It's not like he ran and he crossed that finish line at the end of his life. And people were cheering. It was kind of like he, he pulled himself through. And he just barely scraped by. Not for his salvation, but for his his legacy that he left behind and we have that before us we have the opportunity to leave a legacy of uh, our life and, and our day-to-day life and those people that we touch and who we minister to and we can't let the sins like samson did entangle us 
and ensnare us and lead us astray and cause our very ministry and our very God to be disgraced before the people who we're supposed to be uh, ministering to and, and effectively reaching out toward. And, you know, if that's, if that's any of your hearts tonight, if that's how you feel, then you need to deal with that between you and the Lord. You need to just confess your sin. If you have sin against another person, then you need to go to them and you need to confess to them and, and um, just restore that. But uh, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you again just for the truth in your word, the principles that are there. Lord, I know that uh, because your word went forth that your power is, is here and it, it's being effective in our hearts. And, but uh, don't let us just mistake hearing you for, for obeying you. And don't let us mistake a calling for, for permission and, and you being okay with things in our lives, Lord. May we come to you and ask you to shine that light into the darkest parts, Lord, and may we surrender our hearts to you and, and just have you expose the sin and clean it out and surrender it to you. May our ministry and our lives be effective. Lord, may we not be found as Samson where we don't even know that the glory, the power has departed. We're just doing what we're doing because it's what we do, not because we love you. Lord, may we just love you more. May you, you reach in, grab our hearts. May our lives just pour out before you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.